We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. Lord, we rejoice in the gospel and we rejoice in the fact that you are a merciful God, a God, as we saw earlier, uh, of steadfast love. And we cling to that steadfastness because we don't have it in ourselves. And we pray that you might continue to sustain us and give us grace. And I pray for the preaching today that it would be uh, God-glorifying, be Christ-exalting, it would be gospel-magnifying. I pray that your word would be clear and that you would help us to conform ourselves to it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you plan on having an impact on your family or your church or your community, then one of, not the, but one of the most important pieces of advice I can give to you is to avoid at all costs the phrase, do as I say, not as I do. Hypocrisy will get you nowhere fast. And uh, all of us need this counsel. I would especially like to give this counsel to uh, all of our parents here that we have to model the behavior that we expect in our own children. And in today's passage, the Apostle Paul uh, models this behavior for us in a significant way. And I just want to remind us of the context of where we are. In last week's passage, Paul said this in verse 9 of chapter 8, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Paul was prepared to back up this statement by his actions, and today's passage is Paul reminding the Corinthians of all the ways that he is denying himself for the sake of others. It's one thing to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and to say, yes, we should give up our rights and our liberties so that we don't um, cause our brothers and sisters to fall into sin and, and, and we should deny ourselves, and then it's another thing to actually deny yourself. It's another thing to actually get into it and say, well, that means I have to give this up. And that's exactly what goes on in uh, chapter 9. Paul says we should deny ourselves, and he says, oh, by the way, here's all the ways that I've done that myself. Just consider, and, and, and let's, let's broaden the, the scope out a little bit, outside of 1 Corinthians 9, just consider all the places where Paul commands us to imitate him. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 16, I urge you then be imitators of me. He says in chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He likewise says in Philippians 3 and verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. And then in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 7, he says, you know how you ought to imitate us again and again and again and again and again. Can you say to your children, to your wife, 
to your sibling, to your neighbor, can you say, imitate me? Can you say, imitate me the way that I speak to your mother? Can you say, imitate me the way that I respond when I don't get my way? What what I do in that scenario, you do the same thing that I do in that scenario. Can, Can you say, imitate me the way that I respond to trials and uncertainties? Can you say, imitate me the way that I deny my own rights for the sake of others? Can you say, imitate the tone of my voice when I speak to others? Can you say, imitate the language that I use, the words that are coming out of my mouth? Can you say, imitate me the way that I submit to authority? Can you say, imitate me the way that I trust the Lord? Or perhaps we could ask the question this way. What would your spouse or your community or your church or your children look like if they did imitate you? Would they be better for it or the worse for it? Or think of it this way. Fathers, would you want your daughter to marry a man just like you? Mothers, would you wish for your son to marry a woman just like you? That's what today's passage is about. Paul says, give up your rights for the sake of the weak. And today he says, oh, by the way, here's a list of ways that I've done just that. So go ahead and imitate me. Imitate me as I follow Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 14 Let's read that together. We read this. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brother of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel." 
want to look at this passage today in four sections, and it's just kind of going to alternate back and forth. We've got a principle, an illustration, a principle, and an illustration. Rather straightforward today. In verses 1 through 7, we read four rhetorical questions by the Apostle Paul in order to establish his apostolic rights. So before he tells us, I've given up my rights, he first says, here's what my rights are. He establishes his freedom, he establishes his apostleship, and he establishes his ministerial fruits, that is, the the fruits of the labor in the Corinthians. He does that all in verse 1. And then in verse 2, he further confirms his apostleship when he says that the Corinthians... He says, you guys are the seal of my apostleship. And then he strongly leans into his defense in verse 3 when he examines or answers those who would examine him. And so he responds to this in verse 4. He says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? In other words, what Paul is saying is, I endlessly labor in preaching the word to you, I I preach scripture to you. He says, but I still need to eat and drink. He says, where does that provision come from? And Paul is establishing uh, the right for compensation in ministry. He establishes this elsewhere in 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And then he uses a a verse that we're going to see here in a minute. But he says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Then in Galatians 6, 6, we read, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And uh, so Paul establishes uh, the fact that he has a right to uh, financial compensation. He has a right to eat. He says, I can't labor all day long, and then um, this be withheld from me. Then he also establishes, uh, as his first, uh, that's his first right that he establishes. He establishes uh, his second right here, and that is his right to get married in verse 5. He says, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers uh, of the Lord and of Cephas? Okay, so he says, We have a right also to get married. We can get married if we want to. And then he goes back to the ministerial compensation in verse 6. <laughs> or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? And then he goes and backs this up with three examples. In verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit, or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? In other words, he is observing that soldiers don't have night jobs, okay? Okay. You don't go out and fight the battle during the day, and then at night you go and um, do whatever, you deliver pizzas, okay? Soldiers get their living from doing uh, their work, their labor of being a soldier. The second example of the farmer here, uh, he he says farmers don't send 100% of their proceeds to charity. They work and they labor and then they glean some of the fruit from that labor. 
the, the Corinthians ought not to expect Paul to labor all day long in the word and minister to them and counsel them and discipleship them and do all these things and then go get a quote-unquote real job at night so that he can pay for his food and housing. Uh, but perhaps maybe, you know, Paul is just, he's mistaken here, right, in his thinking. No, Paul's not mistaken because this is obviously Scripture. But Paul actually goes back into the Old Testament to establish this even uh, with, with, with a firmer foundation. He says the Old Testament, or the law, the Mosaic law, says the exact same thing. And so he gives to us our first illustration in verses 8 through 12. He says in verse 8, do I say these things on human authority? Is this, is this just my mere opinion? Or is there something here? He says, does not the law say the same? Now, where does the law say? He's, he's going to quote in verses 9 uh, and following a statement from the, the Old Testament. And this statement is found in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4. And the Israelites had in their law uh, this, uh, this law that says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. And Paul says this about this passage. For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Is God worried about these oxen? And he says, does he not certainly speak for our sake? That law is actually given for you, not really the oxen. Okay, that's interesting. It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Now, in that day, um, oxen were used to help process the grain or remove the grain from the stalk. And what farmers would do is they would muzzle the ox while the ox was uh, threshing the grain. And the reason for this, I think probably is fairly self-evident, you want to get it all. If... If the ox is eating it while he's threshing out, then he's taking your profit away from you. And, and, and so they would muzzle the ox and prevent him from being able to uh, eat some of, this, uh, some of this grain. And in the law, they were told, don't do that. You are supposed to compensate the ox. He, he needs to be paid too. If he's going to do all this work and all this labor, then, then, then the ox needs to be paid also. And, and Paul says this is, it, it wasn't that God's primary concern here was for the oxen. He, he wrote this for our benefit. And here's the logic. If you do this for an ox, how much more should you do this for a person? How, how, how much more should you not figuratively speaking, muzzle the person and, and allow the, the person to share in uh, some of the benefit from the crop, figuratively speaking. It isn't because God is concerned about oxen, he's concerned about people. 
Those who plow, Paul says, should plow in hope. They should trust God to provide, even though the ox takes a portion of the profit. If, if you can't muzzle the ox, then you've got to say, it's a tight year. I hope God provides. Okay, I'm going to trust God. I'm just going to obey him, and I'm going to trust him. It's, it's forcing you to say, God is the provider of everything. God is the one who sustains us, and I'm just going to trust him and obey him and let him deal with the results. That's simply what um, he's, uh, he's, he's saying here. Uh, if Israel would do this, if they would obey God, even if they didn't understand it every time, then God would provide for them. And the same is true for Paul's right to compensation. He says this, If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things? Okay? We've labored uh, amongst you spiritually. We have uh, discipled and counseled and um, confronted and preached and, and taught and all of these kinds of things. Is it too much to ask to be able to be compensated for this? And then he says, particularly because of his labor here in Corinth, and he says, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? We, if, if, if you could pay others, certainly you could pay us who've been working so hard in this field, so to speak, of, of the Corinthian Christians. And, and this is really all Paul is doing right now is he's just establishing his right. He hasn't made any claims yet about this. He's just saying this is a biblical thing. It is a right that I have. It is a liberty of mine. And you have an obligation to do this as the church. Paul has the right to earn a living. He has also the right to get married. Um, and yet, in what may appear to be no small amount of irony, Paul says, but I'm not going to claim any of those things. <laughs> okay, you just spent all this time <laughs> telling us about how you have this right, and now you're just going to relinquish it? What are you talking about? And that's exactly what happens in the second half of verse 12. <laughs> he gives a principle, he illustrates that, and now this second principle is going in what appears to be entirely a different um, direction. He says in verse 12, so the first part is, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? And then he uses the word nevertheless. Nevertheless, we haven't made use of this right. We haven't asked you for anything. He said, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. That's a pretty serious commitment to the gospel. He, he, this is a pretty strong commitment. I am so serious about the gospel being effective and, and, and going out that I'm willing to, to work and labor my whole life at this and never get paid a cent to do this. This verse, specifically the second half of 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 12, is really kind of the center of the text in front of us. Um, you may want to underline this second half, 1 Corinthians 9, 12b. Uh, 
because Paul says the gospel is so crucial and that repentance and faith toward Christ is so essential that he's willing to deny himself his rights in order to advance it. Again, listen to how straightforward this is. We endure anything. We endure anything rather than put a stumbling block or an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Anything? What rights did Paul give up? Well, he gave up the right to be paid. And instead he was what? A tent maker, right? And second, he gave up his right to be married. Now, what, 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 what is Paul thinking? Well, Paul did not want to believe, or did not want people to believe that he was in uh, ministry for the money. Um, and he just decided he did not have to give up this, right? He, he could have he said, um, I need some compensation for this. That would have not been sinful for him to ask for that. However, Paul was making some calculations, some strategic calculations, and he is observing, of course, in the culture, a lot of people who were um, snake oil salesmen and people who are discrediting the gospel. And so he says, I'm going to make a strategic decision that I don't get paid for this because I don't want people to think I'm in this for the money is his decision. Now, that is important to note because Paul's decision was based on strategy. Last week, we saw another motivation for denying yourself your rights, right? So, so this week, Paul says, I'm going to deny this because of a strategic reason. We're in, we're, we're in Christian warfare here. We're sharing the gospel. We're evangelizing. This is the battlefield in the here and now. And so I need to get the gospel out, and here's the strategy. If we do this, 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 okay. This is, I think, what's going to work best in our context. That's what he says. Last week, what was the motivation? It wasn't as much strategy as it was avoiding causing one of your brothers or sisters in Christ to do what? To sin against their conscience. So in that context, he says, here's a good reason to give up your rights. You don't want to lead someone else to sin against their own conscience. Okay? And now he says, here's another good reason to give up your rights, and that is if there's a strategic reason that, that would hinder the gospel, I'm going to give up my right in that particular uh, area. The motivation here is strategy. Now, there are um, uh, a thousand times a thousand illustrations and examples we can give here, right? I mean, what, what does it look like to, um, to be motivated by the gospel strategy to give up your rights so that the gospel will be successful? Well, let me give you a few examples, okay? And we can add a million to these. Uh, I know a retired pastor from Utah, uh, of course, Mormon territory, uh, preached there for many years, 
And does anyone know anything about Mormons in coffee? Okay, no, Mormons do not drink coffee. Uh, they are commanded not to drink coffee. And so this pastor decided that at their church, they were not going to serve coffee at all. Okay, um, I know that'd be devastating for some of you here. <laughs> but, but what's his reasoning? Okay, you've got a Mormon person who walks into the church who's a visitor, and they see that coffee table in, in the back as they walk in. That could be a struggle for them. Could it be enough to make them walk out? I don't know. But they simply decided, we're just, this is gospel strategy right here. And so we're just going to say, let's not do this. It wasn't that he was saying he thought it was wrong or that he thought it was wrong for his people to do. He just thought, let's just do a gospel strategy here and not serve coffee. Okay. Um, another example of this, um, one that I've, I've shared with you before. Um, is just um, me personally looking for a, a gospel opportunity with one of my un- unbelieving friends um, who is a vegan. And every time that we get together, and he, he knows that I eat meat. Okay, I'm not trying to be hypocritical here, but every time we get together, um, and he's been over to our house before, we um, just don't serve any kind of meat at all. Okay, we have a vegan meal. And, and that's... I'm just trying to remove anything that could hinder a successful gospel proclamation. Uh, Not not because I I think this is the way that we should live, but because it's gospel strategy, right? It's it's denying something that that I normally have the right to, but would not be best in this situation. Missionaries face this reality every single day. If nothing else... (laughs) Many missionaries across the globe are setting aside modern conveniences, comforts, liberties in order to strategically get a chance to share uh, the gospel. Missionaries miss Christmas, Thanksgiving, oftentimes with their families. They miss having uh, a convenience store on every corner. Many of them miss Amazon Prime, okay? They, they miss these modern conveniences. They miss, oftentimes, and this is in, going in the area of being very risky, they, they miss easy access to hospitals oftentimes, depending on where you're serving. Uh, they miss all sorts of things. I always um, chuckle. I, I, every time I see something like that, a few times I've seen um, different missionaries that I've talked to in, in, in different cultures, and I always kind of chuckle a little bit when I see uh, maybe a picture of a missionary who's somewhere out in the bush in the middle of nowhere, Papua New Guinea or whatever, just hundreds of miles from civilization anywhere. And you see all of the locals, and they're, they're living in maybe mud huts or something like this. Um, and the missionary there is is standing kind of in the middle of them all, and he has like a tie on, and he has you know the, the pressed khaki pants and dress shoes, and you know nice you know collared shirt and all this kind of thing, um, and 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 I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, is this the best strategy to to to, to reach the locals? Yes, we I'm all we should dress up and all that kind of stuff, so on and so forth. Um, but are there things that we ought to set aside 
simply that, so we don't just cause any kind of a, a stumbling block or an issue over the gospel. What does this look like in your particular context? Um, and, and maybe I should back up a little bit and say something we said last week that needs to be repeated this week. I think we all understand that this is not this is not an issue of of morality in the sense of I can engage in sinful behavior because I think it would be more effective in re- in reaching people. Right? We understand that. Just like last week when we talked about the conscience, we're not we're not saying anything is a conscience issue. We're talking about very specific issues. And the same thing here. What we're saying is. Something that you legitimately have a right to do that's not sinful, and you simply give that up for gospel strategy purposes. So what's, what, what does this look like in your particular situation? You're, you're having a neighbor or a co-worker over, and you just simply have to think strategically about that. What, 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 is there anything I need to just change for today? Is there anything that I need to do differently that's just going to help this not to be an issue? Um, because I want the gospel to go forth. So here's a good, here's a good rule of thumb. Uh, a good rule of thumb is if you are with an unbeliever and they walk away angry, make sure that they are angry at the word, not you. What, what, did, did you demand on having a right that wasn't necessary, that made that person angry, and now perhaps maybe you've lost an opportunity here? Make sure it's the word. Don't compromise the word, by the way. The, the way our culture has gone with this is, I don't want them to even be angry with the word, so I'm not going to do anything, right? We need to be careful of not going that direction. But we need to ask ourselves, what is it that someone is becoming offended with, if they are? We hope that they're not, but if they are, what is it? Jim Elliott said it best when he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. Um, What is it that you have to deny yourself um, as you're ministering the gospel? Or we can go back to verse 12 and see how Scripture says it one more time, and that is, we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Anything. And the problem is, I think, we as Christians oftentimes are not thinking strategically. We're thinking in terms of maximizing comfort. Comfort's not bad, okay? Uh, God is the God of all comfort. I'm not telling you, if, if you walk away thinking that I'm telling you to live like a monk or an ascetic, that is not what I'm saying. We, all of us, even if you don't think you do, all of us enjoy comfort in our own homes. You compare what we have to the history of the world, and we have more comfort than any other culture has in the world. And I'm not saying that comfort is inherently evil. Um, Comfort is not evil. Owning nice things is not evil. Having material success in this life is not evil. What is evil is corrupting those things and using them as an end in themselves. That's where we don't go astray. And we must be willing to give up those things if it helps us strategically as we share the gospel. 
Which brings us to our final point. Paul gives one last illustration, and that is in verses 13 through 14. He says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. His final example, and he goes back to an illustration again of the point he's already made. So he's basically saying, here are my rights, I've given them up, and oh, by the way, these are still my rights, even though I've given them up. He's establishing this principle rather firmly here. Um, and he, he goes to, um, and there's a number of passages you can look at here for his illustration, but Numbers 18.31 is one of them. Uh, you may eat it in any place, you and your households, for it is your reward in return for your service in the tent of meeting. Uh, those who would work in the temple would receive uh, the benefit of that, materially speaking. And, and again, this is kind of interesting because he, he basically sandwiches, his, he put, he sandwiches his, this all together. <laughs> he, he says, here are my rights, I've given up my rights, and here's my rights. And he's establishing with them the fact that, that this is uh, something that he has the right to. He establishes this for uh, uh, people in ministry to be able to receive compensation for that ministry. And yet he says, but if it's going to hinder the gospel, then I'm willing to go without, and I'll just, I'll just make tents and earn my living that way. So where does all of this uh, leave us uh, today? Well, it leaves us asking several questions. For starters... This passage leaves us wondering if we are the kind of people that other people should emulate. Paul lays that out here. He says, you should deny yourself rights, and by the way, here's how I've denied myself my rights. We might ask the question simply this way, are you a hypocrite? Are you a hypocrite? And many times it's, you are the only one who knows the answer to that question. Many, many times you know the answer to that question, and your husband or wife knows the answer to that question, and your kids know the answer to that question, but no one else knows the answer to that question. Are you a hypocrite? The text prompts us to ask. The second point, I think, that the text um, prompts here is that there is a priority placed upon your gospel witness. Your gospel testimony is essential. You can't compromise that. There is something we might say that is more important than your comfort, more important than your material prosperity, more important than staking a claim on your rights. And this important thing is the gospel... And we need to carefully conduct our lives in such a way as to avoid reproach. In other words, don't get in the way of the gospel. Don't forget that emphasis in your workplace, in your home, in your community, at the grocery store, whatever. Then there's a third point um, that the text prompts us to ask, and that is whether or not we can think of any ways in which... Um, uh, we have been faithful to this passage. In, in other words, ask the question this way. Can you think of anything that you have given up for the sake of the gospel? Or we might say it this way. 
Has the gospel ever cost you anything? Dig far back into your memory banks and look at your life and ask yourself the question, has the gospel ever cost me anything? If the gospel, if, if it never costs you anything, I'm not saying work salvation here, understand what I'm saying, okay? I'm saying your commitment to the gospel and, and evangelizing, if that's never cost you anything, maybe you need to rethink a couple of things. Maybe you need to do some serious soul search, searching. And so in light of these uh, points in this text, I have a couple of uh, points of application here. Number one, think strategically through gospel advancement and be willing to give up your rights. Ask yourself whether people are offended by you or the gospel and adjust accordingly. Or we might say, ask the Lord for grace and how to change in this area. The way that you are determining whether you're giving up your rights in these areas or not, it's, it's for strategy, gospel strategy. That's application number one. Number two, lead by example so that you can say to anyone without hesitation, be imitators of me. That one kind of stings a little bit. Repent from your hypocrisy and live a consistent Christian life. Now, we all understand, and we've, we went, I think, uh, when we went through this earlier in Corinthians, um, we, we understand the, the be imitators of me has a qualification, okay? And that qualification is be imitators of me as I follow Christ, okay? So we're not saying imitate me if I take you off the guardrails of Christianity, okay? We understand that, okay? But you should be able to say be imitators of me because you are staying on the guardrails of Christianity, <laughs> because you are living in obedience and faithfulness to Christ. And, and so, so you should be able to say, well, I already am imitating Christ. I am following Christ. And so go imitate what my life looks like. Um, we could work on this for a very long time. Lead by example so that you can say to anyone without hesitation, be imitators of me. And I think we should say that. I don't think we should... The Bible tells us to say this. Um, we, we, sh- we should... I, I, there, there, I understand that the tension that we feel here is, well, I don't want to imply that I'm the standard. Paul's not the standard. Christ is the standard. If you can't say this, if you can't say this, then it says more about your sanctification than it does about the other person's sanctification. You should be able to say this, even though what this means is the standard is Christ. Does that make sense? Am I... <laughs> oh. And the final one, this one is kind of 
a little bit like the first one, but uh, we'll re repeat it here. Relinquish your idiosyncrasies so that it makes uh, that make it hard for people to hear the gospel from you. All of you have them, even though you think other people have them and you don't. Okay, uh, you all have them. Just come up and ask me what they are afterwards, and I'll tell you what yours are. <laughs> I mean, we all right. We all, we all do. Um, and again, we're just asking re restructure our lives in such a way um, that we're not causing people to stumble over these weird things that they don't need to stumble over uh, for the gospel. Let me remind us that we are at war. We are, as Christians, in the midst of the battle. The world is surrounding us and preaching to us their worldview. We've looked at one of these worldviews at the 9 a.m. service recently and wrapped it up today. The world is preaching us, this is the truth, this is the truth, this is the truth. People are dying and going to hell. Casualties lie fallen all around us. People that we thought where our Christian brothers and sisters have fallen to all sorts of worldly systems of thought, Darwin, Freud, Marx, whatever it is. We need to take care that we don't pretend that everything is okay and we can just coast in our Christian lives. We need to reclaim our zeal for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to point people to the hope of Christ we need to preach that salvation comes by repentance and faith in Christ alone. And we need to do this with urgency. And we reshape our lives so that we are better equipped to minister the gospel to this lost and undying world. And if you are one here today who doesn't know this Christ, may I implore you to repent and trust in him. Today is the day of salvation. Trust in Christ. He is enough. Thank you, God, for your grace to us. We thank you for the gospel message and for this passage of scripture in front of us. Help us to calculate strategically how we should order our lives around the gospel. Oftentimes we um, feel very inadequate to do this, uh, and so I pray that we would look to Scripture for wisdom, and also we would consider the wisdom of Proverbs that reminds us that there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Let us lean on one another in this church, uh, because many of these issues, we've seen a couple examples today, but many of these issues of denying our rights are going to be uh, very difficult for us to discern how we should land and I pray that you'd help us to lean on the wisdom that you've given to us here at Crossview and, of course, ultimately in Scripture um, to be able to make these decisions for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.